0: What's up, you guys? How's that? So good, right? Oh. Y'all, I have to tell you, like, what a privilege it is to get to bring these movies to New York City. And this is the premiere of this film. It's only played in one other film festival, and we're here tonight. I'm so glad y'all are here. So thanks for being here. Um, We've got a great panel. I don't even want to call it a panel. It's like panels sound not fun, right? Like this is a conversation. It's a bunch of really inspiring people who are invested in this work. Uh, So I'm going to introduce our moderator, and then I'll let everybody else sort of introduce themselves. And it won't be long, so, like, don't move. Like, stay here. And it's early, right? What time is it? It's 8.30. Come on. This is good. Um, So Josiah Haken uh, is the chief executive officer at City Relief. Anyone know City Relief? These guys do amazing work with the homeless community here in New York City. Uh, Josiah is dedicated to connecting the unhoused community to hope and resources while also empowering ordinary people like us to make an extraordinary impact by seeing, serving, and supporting our neighbors with no doors. So Josiah and everybody else, come on out here, y'all, and give these guys a hand.
1: So it is it's such a privilege. Yeah. Wasn't that incredible, that film? Wasn't that amazing? Thank you. Thank you. I, I am just so honored to be here and with this incredible group. I'm gonna start by just asking each of you to just share your name, Um, maybe a little bit about yourselves and, you know, kind of how you found yourself to be here tonight.
2: So, uh, hi everyone. Uh, My name is Michael
1: Capitelli. I'm the Deputy
2: Superintendent for the Catholic Schools.
3: Hi, I'm Tony Kriz. Uh, I'm one of the executive producers and the writer on the film.
4: I'm Mary Cantwell. I'm one of the co-founders of Enriched NYC.
5: Good evening. My name is Richard Rivera. I'm the Chief Program Officer for I Have a Dream Foundation, a youth development organization. We're in eight states, nine cities, and we partner with Enriched NYC onwards, and they are transforming our students' lives. Tony, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about
1: um, just the making. You said it was like a cheese grater. It's difficult. I mean, I work with homeless folks on a regular basis. I have for 13 years. And, and like folks like Anna and Bianca um, are just so near and dear to my heart. I feel like, I mean, it's very possible that I actually helped on and knew Anna. Um, so I just want to know how, like when you make this kind of a film, how do you get like such a beautiful inside view on lives that are of people who are just struggling so much?
3: Director who's oh, an incredibly genius, young, smart, out-of-the-box filmmaker, he kept f- looking for the voice that this film needed to have. And and where he arrived, Josiah, your question was, is that ch- children don't have a voice. It's almost impossible to get children in front of a camera to start with just in our society, but, but for them to be able to tell what they're going through is almost impossible. So how do we find the adults that can tell the story on behalf of the children? Because adults are just post-children. And so how do, how do they tell the story? And so um, we ended up hiring a co-director, Mark Johnson, um, who he would literally go and find, he was this incredible, crazy human being, who would go and would literally embed himself with the families that you witnessed and, and never turn on a camera. Live, reveal himself to them, share the economy of trust to the point where the family said, let's make this film together. There was was uh, an energy of mutuality in the characters. One of the reasons you get so much tenderness from them is because they bought into wanting to sacrifice. We were talking about this before, Josiah, sacrifice their shame, sacrifice their embarrassment on behalf of a greater goal and then we turn the camera on. And you watch Haley use the camera lens as the mirror as she's pulling her tooth out because she's, oh, she's trusting that the camera is not going to use her or threaten her, but it's actually something that she can trust enough to enter into this intimate moment. And so that became sort of the, the central piece of the story is to allow these adults who never learned to read to speak on behalf of the children who have no voice. And that's how we ended up there.
1: And it was so, it was so beautiful. And it was evident, right? Because like, people opened up their hearts for, to give us all a glimpse of, inside of the pain and the struggle, which, again, is such a rare gift. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, obviously, educators up on here with us. Like, so how, raise your hand if you're an educator on... Okay, awesome. So here's what, well, you count, you count, Tony, don't worry, but so we'll start, I wanna start here and then we'll work our way across. Um, From, as an educator, um, what stands out to you as the most um, difficult aspect? Like when you see this film, walking away from it, um, what are you
5: thinking and feeling from the lens of
1: an educator after watching that film?
5: Feeling a lot of emotions, mostly anger, um, mm. because this could be avoided. It is a, a lack of resources that, in many ways, create this problem. And this is a very solvable problem that can be fixed. Um, but it is a lack of commitment by our society to make the proper investments. Um, and I think you know the title of the film says it all. You know, you are literally sentenced to a particular, a narrow life um, that has immense consequences if you are not taught to read. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll stop there yeah. for
1: now. No, it's good, thank you. How about for you? I, I think the same, um,
2: you know, not only anger but empathy because mm. as, as you heard, uh, it's changeable and it's so simply changeable. Um, I also think it's an indictment on government and society. The policies, the policies are so simply changeable. And you know when I look at it from a lens, and you know Catholic schools, people say, "Oh well, you know they have to pay tuition." 65% of our kids are at or below the poverty level. 98% go on to college, and uh, it's because of the commitment of the educators that you saw in that film uh, that that happens. But I think about uh, a lot of the work that I do, uh, really working with the public school system. Uh, which does provide resources for kids who are struggling. And it's been that way since 1965. You may remember Johnson's War on Poverty, right? The Elementary and Secondary Education Act. That was born out of really lifting societies and communities out of poverty by teaching them how to read and write and do basic math. And that uh, initial uh, policy uh, initiative has really, unfortunately, become so polarized. And it's sad because... It doesn't have to be that way.
4: This is a heartbreaking film to watch. And uh, as the mother of a dyslexic child in particular, it's heartbreaking. Um, that last statistic that your, uh, your future success in reading it directly correlates to how well your mother reads. And you look at Bianca and she's got those four children and she's making a cake with them and she's taking them for ice cream and taking to them taking them to the playground. And she has hopes and dreams for them, just like any of us have for our children. And she just doesn't know how to get there. And that, to me, through the lens of a mother, is really the most heartbreaking aspect of this, that she just doesn't know how to help her children.
1: What is it... How can I contribute to this very complex problem? What What can I do? And I, I love the, how the movie featured average people. So I was also would love to go down the line and just hear like if if there's what's something that the average person who's not an educator, who's not an expert, how can we contribute to solving this obviously this solvable
5: problem? I think there's two ways. Uh, One is, and I think the end of the picture really shows volunteering. You know, having an impact on a student's life is huge. I think in all fairness, advocating for experts like an organization like Enrich to come in is huge, and I think this is the bottom line this is this is issues of equity and resources. Um, I work with underserved students throughout the country, and many of their parents are uneducated work tw- you know twenty four seven don 't have the time and they 're in schools that have ill prepared teachers. Some of our schools, some of our kids have never physically touched a book, right? Bringing in volunteers to work with the kids is a starter, but it's really not enough. And, you know, from a personal perspective, my father came to this country with a fifth grade education. They valued education. I was lucky enough because my mom had a high school degree. She read to me, and I went on and I was very successful. My daughters are excellent readers, right? Anything go down, the first thing I do as a middle-class family is we find a specialist. You know, my kid stuttered, and the next day we were in a speech therapist office, and I was paying for that. We need to bring in experts like Enriched who have an expertise, really focused on phonics awareness. That's not something you can kick to volunteers to do. So I think there needs to be a recognition if, Middle class to upper class families are willing to invest those resources or require their school systems to invest in those resources. Why should underserved communities receive any less? So two things. The first
2: is when you leave here tonight, engage. Engage with a friend, engage with a policymaker, engage with someone else and tell them about sentence. Tell them about what you saw tonight. Tell them about more importantly, what you felt tonight watching that video. Because I know Just as I sat there and I watched it, I have no doubt that every person sitting in this room felt the same emotion that I felt as you watched that video. And the only way that we're gonna change things is person by person. That's how change happens. The second thing I would tell you is help educate others. One of the greatest challenges that I think educators face today, whether you're in a public school system or even in a private school system, is you can often easily identify that child who needs help. But then when you uh, engage a parent to have that conversation, it's difficult because we all want the best hopes and we have the best dreams for our children. But sometimes early intervention, which which we know works, all the research points to it, it's the hardest thing for a parent to just take that first step. To make that first phone call to ask for help, so to inc- accompany them through that process is something easily that you could do, and uh, you know it's um, and whether you do it whether through a volunteer network, but even if you do it with family or friends, and sometimes those are the most difficult conversations t- uh, to to have. You know, the, fur- the furthest distance sometimes we have to travel is the 12 inches from our head to our heart, and that's really uh, something that you can do when you leave here tonight?
3: We want to project into the universe, the hope of a million volunteers, people 17 to 107 who can read one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, volunteering 45 minutes of their life once a week in underserved public schools we want a million volunteers to go so there's that piece to josiah's question but illiteracy is a pandemic in america there's a larger pandemic we are living in isolation the vast majority of americans do not have one real relationship with someone who doesn't look like them vote like them read like them spend like them And everyone I come in contact says, I want to know somebody different, economically different, culturally different than myself. I don't know how, I don't know how. And we are living in a poverty of relationship in this country. And there's nothing threatening about a nine-year-old who just wants someone to sit with them and say, you're beautiful you're important, you have a future, I believe in you. And there are millions of children in America right now who are dying to have a friend. A 45-year-old, boring, no personality friend to sit with them once a week, help them read. And I believe the 45-year-old needs as much transformation as the child does. And this is my hope. This is why I got involved in this project. I, we are isolated. We have created a society that is going to destroy us. We need to connect. And I'm convinced that literacy could be a magical way to do that while simultaneously saving a generation um, out of these cycles of Potter, poverty, isolation, marginalization, and all the other things that go along with it. So,
4: This is not about politics. This is about teaching children how to read. And if you really want to work with children, IMSC offers Orton-Gillingham courses. This is a systematic phonics-based approach multi-sensory that teaches children how to read. It's effective. We use it at Enriched and Onwards, and we can teach any child of any age how to read using that sequence. IMSE, it's the Institute for Multisensory Education, and they offer this training not only to teachers, to parents, um, to caregivers, to anyone who really wants to learn this sequence and learn how to teach a child how to read, take, this course. If you are a parent and you feel your child is not receiving the best education they can, make noise at the school, go into the principal, meet with the educators. You have American Rescue Fund dollars that were dog-eared specifically for tutoring, for literacy tutoring, for this type of remediation. It's $2,400 per American student. There are some school districts out there who haven't even spent their money yet. It's about to expire. That money is up by the end of September, I think, and there's tons of it unspent. So get in there and see how your child's school is using these funds to directly benefit your child.
1: I would also love for you guys to wrap this up by sharing something that you have hope for. Like, what is giving you hope that this is something that can be fixed or that's being fixed. Because again, I know, again, I I work in a very dark and abysmal world where um, I was recently asked on a panel like, you know, where are we going in five years with homelessness and I didn't have the heart to tell them that I think it's gonna be much worse than it is right now. Um, But there's also reason to hope and we, we have to look for the hope.
5: So I think we all know we just ex- have experienced and still experiencing a pandemic that uh, really has changed all our lives. And I think for many of us, I know for myself, when the pandemic first started, I was looking forward to returning to the old normal. And it took a couple of years to realize our lives have fundamentally changed. We are now living, creating a new normal moving forward. And you know, I think the pandemic really raised on a national level, the inequities that exist in our country and i think we're struggling with them some don't want to deal with it some are i think one of the positives one of the things that i'm hopeful for is hybrid learning Um, when all of a sudden everyone stopped and had to now work from home Some of us didn't know how to turn a computer on. Um, CUNY or CUNY system started hybrid learning a week, one or two weeks after the pandemic, and then had a shutdown for another two weeks afterward because they realized faculty did not know how to teach online. Um, So it's been a learning process. The reason why I'm hopeful though is I see hybrid learning as a way of addressing many of the inequities that some of our rural poor communities they don't have access to literacy experts. So to me, bringing in people, experts, different types of experience through online learning helps to begin to bridge some of those gaps. And it's forcing us to come to reckoning with a lot of the inequities that, you know, have led us to this point.
2: So tonight gives me hope, but let me tell you why. On March 12th, 2020, I was on this stage and I left this stage and I walked upstairs to a conference room and I shut down the Catholic school system, the Archdiocese in New York because of the pandemic. I will never forget that. But the hope that tonight gives me shows not only through faith, right, that we got through it, but the teachers, the educators, and even the children are resilient. And, it, and, and by, by watching this video tonight, it just shows me what a little bit, a little bit of community, a little bit of engagement could do because every single person in that film, not only are they worth engaging with, but just a little bit, we, we, can, we can help turn around this pandemic in society today with just a little bit of caring. So um, that's what I hope, that's why I have hope. Tonight gives me hope. I love that.
3: Um, well, just bear with me. <laughs> I believe in the divine. I'm a mystic. Amen. And, uh, and the, the folks in this film, this, the weight of sacrifice to open up the doors of their chest and reveal their story. You know, Fuji never got to see the film. And yet he shared with us his marriage, his fatherhood, his struggle, his inability to get a job, the day in, day out, the loss of his brother. I don't, I refuse to believe that that story will fall on deaf ears that these things do not have an echo that will affect people and not just them. I'm talking about thousands of people who dare to tell their story or dare to step forward and believe for their children what they never had and that, and that there are ears, there are eternal ears that are listening and that y'all are listening and that society will eventually wake up, that we will wake up to these things. And that we can get past our selfishness, and our greed, and our tribalism, that as long as my people are taken care of, I don't care anymore. I just refuse to believe that that's our destiny. And I hope that this film plays a very small role, a pawn on the, on the chessboard of this issue, that we can begin to wake up and care and make a difference and that Fuji's story and stories of thousands of others will not go unheard, so. Thank
4: you. I, th- I think I picked the wrong seat. <laughs> I have to follow the filmmaker every time. <laughs> So there's a couple things that give me hope tonight, and certainly it's being on the stage with these incredible people, Richard Rivera, Michael, Tony, I mean, Megan Quimby from Fox News, people like that who keep this message front and center. They are not letting it die. They're fighting for children. They're fighting to make our families stronger. They're fighting to make our cities stronger. They're fighting to make our our country stronger. So that gives me tremendous hope. And what really gives me hope, Richard, every Tuesday when I go to PS7 in East Harlem and work with our kindergarten and first grade dreamers who will read anything for a Pokemon card (laughs) um, to see the look on their faces, right? When they're decoding blends, digraphs, vowel teams, reading things that maybe they would never be expected to be able to read. That gives me tremendous hope. So there's a lot of hope out there. There really is.
1: Thank you all. Let's can we give our panel a hand.
0: Yep. <laughs> like these are challenging conversations. None of this is perfect. Um, I think we're stepping into a space we're moving forward. We're not solving everything here, right? But this is the reality of the space that we're in, is that there's, there, are, uh, there, there are systems that are in place that, that prevent the world that we want to be, right? Uh, we have the world that we have, and uh, my hope is is that conversations like this and films like this provoke all of us to think harder about these things and what does it look like for us to be the solution and how can we step out of ourselves and the privilege that we have or I have and consider what it looks like to look at these things through a different lens. So I hope that's one of the things that happens at Justice. Like embody like what happened tonight or whatever you're feeling, like take it out, let's talk about it, let's try and make the world the place that we want it to be not the place that it is. So that's all I have to offer, which ain't much, but it's something, it's a way to sort of bid you farewell and bless you on your way out. And we're so glad that you're here. So thank you for being part of Justice Film. Thanks so much. Y'all have a great night.